Welcome everybody to a brand new Poker Player podcast. It's going to be ninth episode today, and today's guest, he is, he has been playing poker heads up hypers professionally up to the highest stakes, up to a thousand dollar stakes, I believe. He has now for one and a half years transitioned to coaching yeah. people full time about poker performance and mindset. Welcome, Adam McCarmichael, to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Sorry about the delay. I thought my audio was. Okay, so yeah, I'm a I'm Carmichael, a performance and mindset coach. Um, yeah, my background in poker. Do you want me to jump in with how I got into poker? What the background? Yeah, exactly. That's what, that was the first question I was going to ask you. Okay. Like, how did you get into poker? Like, what is your poker story in the background? Sure. Okay, let's jump in. All right, so I started poker in 2011 when um, I was just, I graduated from university. I did sports science at uni. And one of my friends stumbled across a website called Shark Score. And he found all the leaderboards of all the heads up rankings and all the, the sitting goal rankings. And he gave me a, he rang me really excited. He was like, Adam, there's loads of people making loads of money at online poker. I was like, all right, this is that's great for them. Like, I'm glad, pleased for them. He's like, oh, I think we could learn the game. Like, we're good at maths. We've played a little bit of poker between our friends and stuff. Maybe we can learn the game. It's, it's worth it. Like, look how much money you can make. So I was like, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I mean, I've got nothing going on right now. I'm living in my parents' house. I work uh, part-time in a sports shop. Um, so I was like, okay, like, if you can come with a plan, like, I'm cool with giving it a go. So we had a few hundred dollars on our online accounts. We started playing some sitting goes, so, so like $10 sitting goes, I think $7 sitting goes at the time. And we were making a little bit of money, a little bit of money, but nothing like obviously didn't take off. And we thought, ah, it's just, it doesn't feel like it's gonna work like unless we go all in. So we decided that we would move to Thailand. Now this is the crazy idea. Basically, we had lots of friends at the time who were going up every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there was lots of social interaction. It was a really distracting environment. We thought, if we're going to learn poker, we're going to have to learn it properly, like really stick in. So we decided that we're going to move to Thailand. We've never been to Asia, never been abroad. The reason to move to Thailand was one, super cheap, two, um, away from the distractions. So we decided we're going to do a three-month experiment. So three-month experiment. I actually got a one-way flight because I couldn't afford the return on my budget without uh, busting my poker roll. And we clubbed our money together and we built a $2,000 roll. So I think we paid for the rent up front for three months. And then we had $3,000 to, uh, to play the games, pay for food, pay for anything that came up living cost-wise. Now, this was like super in the unknown, super out of the comfort zone. Our friends that were crazy, it could have easily backfired, but we just started learning the game. So we started playing $15 heads up sitting goes. At this time we we're playing turbo speed, we identified these as both high, high ROI and low variance, like rough, quite low variance and quite low, a high ROI possible. So we started playing these games, we just build our role, build our role, build our role. Now, first month went by and it was just like, oh my God, are we gonna go broke? Every day was like, have we got enough for food? Have we got enough for bills? And little costs would come up and we, we went down to like $500 at one point between us. We're like, when things go bad, we don't know what to do because there's no backup fund. Um, but we got through the first few months and we got like, started finding our feet. We, we moved from $15 to $30. And we started to build our role basically together. We had, we had this idea to have a joint role. Now, other players tried this and it, it's quite problematic because the tension's involved, but we were very good friends from university and we somehow made it work like without straining the relationships. And we all worked working really hard. Um, and the first year we got through it, got through the first year, didn't go broke. And by this time we're playing $60 heads of singles. We're playing every day, every day is wake up, play, wake up, play, study, going through hard histories, everything just to improve our games. First year went by and I remember checking up, we checked our, we did like a year review, we checked how much money we'd made. And to my surprise, we had no money. We had no money. We had the same like two or three thousand. I think we had five thousand actually at this time, which is 
what was needed to play these stakes. And I remember feeling super deflated. So I've been in Thailand for, for the first year. I hadn't seen much of Thailand, just living in a, a villa, but just not really doing much. And I'm going, oh, do, do, do I keep going? Like, is, is it worth it? Like, is this poker dream like, viable? Like, I've done a full year of it and I've got nothing to show for it. So I decided like, okay, like maybe we've got, maybe we need one more year to make it try, try and make it work. Because at the end of the day, I was doing it for the money. And I was doing it to try and build the role and to try and see what I could do financially. And I was making a big sacrifice living in Asia. All my friends were in Europe having a great time. They were like, I don't want you coming back. All my parents, family, putting pressure on me to come back. And I'm like, I'm just trying this poker thing, like trying to make it work. And then second year, that's when things started to come together. That's when I started to treat poker more professionally and find my place in the poker world. So over that year, I went from $60 through to playing $200 heads of singles. And I finally started to, first I got rid of debt. So I had a 10 grand of debt um, in my bank before I started poker. So I got rid of that. My student overdrafts, got rid of those. And then I finally made some money for myself. I had 10 grand money in my bank. I was like, yes, amazing. And I finally, yes, yeah, so I realized, okay, actually, maybe, maybe I can make some money from this game. Maybe I can make some really, really good money. And I never came from money. I was always a broke kid. I came from a poor background. So it took me a long time to kind of come to terms with actually there's this real opportunity here. There's real, real um, opportunity to make a lot of money and change my life financially for forever. Um, so yeah, basically, I'll fast forward it, the story without going too long. I ended up going from uh, $200 heads of singles, which is the highest stakes in my game. And I played those games for the last two or three years. I was playing the highest stakes possible and made great money for myself financially. Started to look further aside from poker and go, what's what's next for me? Because I ticked all my boxes financially. Um, and then yeah, I decided I wanted to go into performance coaching and mindset coaching to help other poker players on their journey. So I've always, I always knew I was going to go into helping people and helping people on their journeys. I just didn't know which avenue. Um, after them success in poker, uh, I felt strongly that I wanted to help other poker players on their journey. So throughout that journey, I've lived in Thailand, Portugal. I spent five years living in Bali. I've probably been back in England, maybe eight or 10 months of the whole, that period of time. And yeah, just been kind of living abroad and traveling as I've been going on the journey as well. How, how, uh, when, did the, when was that year where you started off with the first year with your buddy um, playing in, in Thailand? When was that year? 2011. It was 2011 and 2012 was the second year. And then uh, for the next three years, you were kind of moving up or next five years, actually, until 2017, also for the viewers to to follow the path. You were basically, yeah. you know, moving up the ladder until yeah. you would uh, play at the thousand dollar heads up, sit and goes. Um, just for some orientation, I mean, you said like making in the second year, the first 10K, that was like 50 binds for like a $200 level. Um, what's the variance like in, the, in those things? Like, how would you, what kind of ROI would you have in those that you would uh, be able to risk to not have like a too high risk of ruin? Yeah, so basically, like, that's that's the when you're moving up stakes, that's one of the things you've got to be very aware of. Like, what's the kind of swings around? Uh, how far can you run below? How far can you, you run? Uh, how much can you lose in a single month or so? But basically, in hypers. So you can get ROIs when you're playing just fish of around like six to eight percent. Now back in those days, it was slightly lower because people weren't as good on the fish. Probably five, four, five percent EV ROI would be what you could get. And hypers are super quick, super quick volumes. So you play a hundred games a day. Now, if you're looking at your role, you could easily go on like a hundred, um, hundred buy-in downswing. I know not really easy. Probably fifty buy-in downswing could like happen quite comfortably. And if you've got like, high, obviously high your win rate the less likely you are of actually going into the negative. 
but yeah, you could easily uh, go 50 buy-ins down. Uh, so you've got to protect yourself with the, the role you have. And that's one of the, the reasons for moving up slower and you've got to yeah, take it slow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for, yeah, it, it sounded like the, when you said you're yeah, making or getting rid of the 10K debt and then making your first 10K and attaching it to $200, it sounded like uh, quite, quite some risk. But, um, you know, of course, when you also mix in some lower ones and you have, uh, you're actually, you know, making your binds more based on, you know, how you're how you're running then obviously that can be fine at least as a start but uh did you ever have uh, the feeling that during that journey you i mean of course you, you also mentioned it a little bit but that um you know it could have gone any other way just depending on the swing yeah first year like looking back in the first year we were so so tight like probably at one stage down like 30 buy-ins between three of us. Um, really like everything we were spending was just going, and making was just going spent uh, very, very quickly. And there was a point probably four or five months in where we went super low, like in crazy, crazy low, that uh, any sort of bad run during that patch would have led to uh, either us having to loan money from our, our friends, or, but, but very, very on the breadline. Um, the type of risk, like, as you get more mature as a poker player and as you become an actual professional, you never put yourself in those positions because you'll move down buy-ins quicker than you can. You would never play with your last 50 buy-ins when you're a professional poker player. But when you're a bit reckless starting out, we didn't realize what the variance was of the games. Um, and at times, we did strain ourselves to the limits. Um, and yeah, it was definitely sketchy. And it was sketchy at the time. And looking back, I was like, oh, that was real close to where busting out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also, but what was very surprising to me when you just mentioned that, you know, you were not having like any or any big arguments with your body because the accountability you have to have, to have towards each other, like grinding a role together, it must be insane. Also, at, did your body check out at some point or did you continue to do that until 2015, um, growing your banquet together? Or it was there at some point, at least... Uh, a separation in roles. We did that for two, two, up to 2015. I think we split roles around 2014, like midway through 2014. We like split the role thing, but we were like a bit of a team and we formed like a, yeah, we, we joined our roles together, which because it was very beneficial for moving up buy-ins. So like, you know how I said, like I, I made my first 10K, I'm playing 200s. If I was on my own role, I probably wouldn't have been able to move up that aggressively, but because we had a three-man kind of uh, role between us, it allowed us to, uh, have access to a bigger role combined. But uh, yeah, we stayed together. We lived in Bali for uh, three years together through 2015 or mid 2014, joined the role. In 2017, when you then transitioned to coaching people on mindset and performance, what was the trigger that you said, you're not gonna continue playing poker? Um, how did, did poker just feel differently or um, what was the um, reason why you stopped playing and then you know went all in on coaching people yeah okay so basically i was in poker to make a lot of money a lot of money financially and i had a, took some great years 2015 and 2017 and i changed my life forever financially and i got to a point where i was i wasn't motivated by the money anymore because adding extra digits to my bank account wasn't doing anything for me now i went through 2017 just thinking i should play poker i'm making great money like this is the point i wanted to get to you know i was feeling quite unfulfilled to be honest i was thinking what's next and Everyone around me was saying, well, you should keep playing because you make X amount of money. And I started to ask myself bigger questions. And I was like, 
what do you want next out of it? Like the, the money's there, like you've made the money, what, what do you want to do next? Do you want to make more and more money? So what I did was I did a thought exercise where I imagined myself being, I think I did 10 years in the future, and I was 40 years old, and I was looking back at my 30-year-old self, and I went, Adam, if you play poker for another five years, and you make five million, will you be happy? And I snap said, no. In my head, I was like, no, I wouldn't. Like, there was no amount of money that I'd be happy if I spent, like, if I because basically when I played poker, I dedicated everything to it, like my whole, my six year old career was six years of dedication and I turned down everything like opportunity wise other than to play poker. Um, and I thought if I could get financially rewarded during the five years, like beyond probably what I'd ever make, um, my answer was still no, I don't think I feel fulfilled for doing that. So then I started to have to ask myself, what well, if it's not money, what next? And it, it took me literally six or seven months fighting this, like I should be playing poker, I should be making more money, should, this, this should be what I'm doing. But I knew there was something else in me that I wanted to do. Um, and then all my friends were like, well, I don't just play poker part time once you figure it out. And it doesn't work for me. My mind's I was like, I can't, if I'm in poker, I'm in poker. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very competitive. I want to be the best at it. I want to do really good. So yeah, it took a long time to like went, I need to do something else and I need to do it for me. So I've always liked coaching. A lot of my teachers at school thought I'd be a teacher. I never thought I would myself. Um, and I knew I wanted to help people. That was like long term. If you look to me like 20 years old, I'd say I, I want to help people and I want to, um, make an impact with people. So I knew I, I had that in me. I just hadn't found an avenue. And then as I started to think about it more and more, it became obvious like where my next path was and going into mindset performance coaching and all the stuff I, I realized I'd learned a lot. Sometimes I didn't realize when you're in it constantly, you don't realize how much progress you've made and how much you've learned relative to everybody else. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm approaching poker quite differently here from like the health and fitness perspective, from the mindset perspective. I feel like I've got a lot to share with other people. Um, and yeah, as soon as I decided, I, I knew I'd made the right choice. Like, Quite instantly yeah i mean you basically described yeah money as the main motivator for poker and then at some point you know of course the the value is always decreasing about making more money i certainly experienced this as well in my poker career at some point um i mean uh i obviously could still make a lot more money but at some point you know okay you have got like now these four or five years of security and uh four or five years of security sounds like a very long time like if you if you know that your life expenses, especially maybe residing in Bali, uh, you would say that, okay, now I have more than just four or five years of financial security, because maybe, I don't know, like what, what does a, that's also a very interesting question. Like what does a month cost you in Bali or a year cost you in Bali? Well, it can be cheap. Like Bali is a cheap place. So basically food's super cheap and um, accommodations, like relatively very good value. You can get a villa with a pool and stuff. I'm one of those kind of anomalies where I actually spend a lot in Bali, but you get good value. So for example, I pay like close to two and a half thousand a month for my rent, but I have a three bedroom villa with pool. It's, it's, I choose to do that because I want to pick a place that my office is in the villa. I could spend like six, $700 and get a decent place, but I just, I just chose not to go down that route. Um, so yeah, average month may cost me about say five, five K US a month. And that's living like really well. Like, Go to the nicest restaurants, eating their best food. Um, yeah, not not have any worries about anything. All memberships for all the the clubs and the the gyms, which are quite expensive, surprisingly. And yeah, that's um, Bali's a cheap. Basically, Bali's a very good value for money place. You can be super cheap. You make traveler cheap, or you can live like quite a, a decent, a very good lifestyle for like five k US, which is like ridiculously cheap for the kind of lifestyle I live here. 
Yeah, I think that uh, there's obviously a, a kind of progression that, that you describe um, in what you get for like more money. Um, it, it doesn't like scale up to like some ridiculous amount that you could never afford, right? That, that is the, probably the difference. But uh, the minimum we said is like, yeah, you could get a good place or a decent one for like six, seven hundred dollars a month and then like yeah. food, maybe two, three, four hundred and yeah, like live off like 15k a year, maybe a little yeah. bit more. I'd say 15, 20k a year would be kind of budgeting, but still having quite a nice life. Uh, yeah, 20k would probably be a good, a good mark to put on that. How is it like health insurance in Bali? Is there, is there any any problem, or are you in, insured and like you're in, in Great Britain? Or um, basically, like I'm insured for like a travel kind of travel insurance, but they've got a few private hospitals and a few private medical cares. To be honest. In Asia in general, I don't really trust the medical care apart from maybe Singapore and Hong Kong. If I had something serious, like something like an organ was failing or something, I'd go to Singapore or to Hong Kong. But if anything's like minor, any sort of minor health care, you can go to the private hospitals and they're, they're quite good at dealing with minor issues which aren't super complicated. <laughs> And as a, as a person who stays healthy, you probably don't have to deal with that, at least not too often. Um, no. Yeah, let's, let's get a little bit into health. Like how do you, what are your main pillars of, of staying healthy? So sleep, diet, exercise, stress management. Those are the four. I'm very big on feeling good, feeling energetic, just having, yeah, feeling good about yourself every single day. So uh, I've done some crazy stuff regarding sleep in the past. So I didn't touch on this in my story, but when I first started out, playing poker, I tried polyphasic sleep, which is the one I tried was called the Everyman 2. You sleep four, four and a half hours with two 20-minute naps. Now, I did this for 12 months straight. There was maybe 10 days where I broke from it when some friends came or partying, but I did it for 12 months straight. Um, and the reason was we wanted to play poker 10 hours a day and have like seven or eight hours free time. So I was like, let's just do it all. Like sleep, cut that out, they don't need it. Um, and I didn't realize at the time because you, you get in this mode of it's like kind of survive and vivid dreams, but I didn't realize I was ex like really exhausted the whole year. It was only a reflection when I looked back the following year and I started sleeping properly. I was like, oh, I was so cognitively not optimal. But anyway, now I'm full circle. And I think sleep's like the, the pillar store. That's the main thing you start with. You you go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time. If you mess, mess sleep up, everything else is an uphill task. So I think a lot of poker players mess this up. They think they can just stay up till three in the morning then they'll wake up mid-afternoon and they'll go to bed like, if you mess your sleep up and you're erratic with it, like you can choose any kind of hours of the day, but be consistent, be consistent with it and try to get seven to nine hours. That's the first thing. Then when it comes to health, I'm very big on what I put in my body. So uh, I eat all kind of whole foods. By that, I mean vegetables, fruits, animal protein, uh, grains, and I eat maybe like five to 10% of processed foods with, instead of sugar. I avoid sugar for the most part, um, unless it's post-workout. I train super hard, so I've got like, um, gym progressions where I basically uh, go to the gym five times a week with progressive overload because I like to put on muscle and I like to also challenge myself. So I think when you go into the gym, sometimes you can go through the motions, get bored. I love like just tackling me versus me and my logbook. So when it comes to like how I approach health, first, very solid with sleep and always perfecting that. Diet, the main thing with diet is like, first off, avoid the bad stuff. Like if you're trying to eat like a salad here, a nice meal there, but for the most part, you're eating chocolate and you're having sugary drinks, non-healthy foods, healthy foods don't do anything for you, it's not do very little. The main thing you do is start to realize these are good choices, these are bad choices, and start removing the bad choices. Now, as poker players, not many people go down this route because it's very convenient. Poker players choose convenience, and convenience generally means fast food, readily available, put in the microwave, 
easy snack on it. So they, they go for the, the unhealthy options out of convenience. So when I work with guys, I'm always teaching them, look, like you can be, you can have convenient options, but you just need to plan it in advance. You need to prepare your food. You need to prepare chicken, vegetables in advance so that when you, when it's, when you're tired, half of your grinds, you're not going to reach for a sugary drink. You're going to go and heat some food up. Like you've got to be organized with it. And then exercise, I think there's so many avenues of exercise, but I just think you've got to exercise regularly, whether if you're unfit, whether that means walking, like daily walking, but I, I'm a big proponent of pushing yourself in the gym, not just for the physical benefits, but also for like the mental benefits. Like when you learn to push yourself by exercise, you can unlock levels of yourself, which are just like next level. Like there's, there's only so much discomfort I can have at a desk playing poker. Like yes, there's some sort of psychological strain, but when you push yourself physically to max exertion, you can go to next levels. So you can push yourself to an uncomfortable zone and then have that conversation with yourself where you push past it and push past it. And that transitions to everything you do. So I'm a big proponent of using exercise as a mind enhancer as well as a, a way to look after your body and your health. And then the, the fourth thing which I haven't touched on is stress management. So I meditate every morning to control my state, but also to put myself in a good um, proactive, uh, proactive mode rather than reactive mode. And then also just the long-term um, longevity, being able to manage my own thoughts. I like to know, am I angry? Am I anxious? Am I uh, feeling tired right now? You, people don't know these things because we live in this constant busy state. So the more you can slow thoughts down and check in with yourself, the more uh, likely you are to be able to spot at the poker tables as well. So I'm massive on um, looking at yourself as just as a human being, because like, it's so important. And then how that transitions into your performance as a poker player, like the, the mind body are just so linked that for a long time, like science thought they were separate. They go, oh, the mind, the body, like they're, they're so interconnected. If your body's unhealthy, the mind is, yes, you can still use the brain, but like it's suboptimal. And there's, there's so much I, I can go on on that. Yeah. I just uh, recently made a, a video about poker and health. I made like some days ago. Oh, cool. And uh, have, you, have you watched it? Yeah, no. No, okay, yeah, I mean, I have just for the people out there. Um, and uh, a lot of the things that you have been saying, um, you know, they're, they remind me of, of some of the missteps that I've made in my career. Yeah, giving up on sleep is the very first thing. And um, there, I was never trying out, but I was at least reading on it. And I was considering doing something like a, a polyphasic sleep rhythm. And I was at least considering. And I ended up not to and said, yeah, I, you know, the only thing I did is I had like different rhythms. Like now I'm waking up at 4 to 6 a.m. Sometimes I woke up at like midnight. Sometimes I wake up at like 8 p.m. in the afternoon. It is yeah. absolutely ridiculous how my sleep uh, was all over the place. And I, I by trial and error, um, I try to see like how I'm feeling um, also mentally when I switch up variables. Like I, I probably have never done like the extremes. You seem to be really living all those pillars um, up to a very high degree um, and, and really pushing yourself to the limits in those. And I try to just switch up variables uh, because I realize that I have a very tough time excelling at everything. Um, how mm -hmm. that? When you think about yourself, like, do you have any any of these pillars that you think at, at some points, yeah, you didn't excel at, like apart from sleep, or do you have something else that suffers from you know pushing yourself too hard in one of the pillars? Because you cannot really do everything, can you? Yeah, well, basically, I think you can't do everything if they're pausing. So, for example, if I think exercise, diet, sleep, I think they add to cognitive performance. So as a poker player, all I cared about was making the best decisions 
being energetic enough to play the longest, play the most focused sessions I possibly could. So I started to look at what factors are going to aid my performance. So um, the, the reason I went to health, the reason I went into all like the kind of performance optimization is because it helped my performance. So uh, you, I don't know if you say that you can't go all into everything, but when they're all kind of, there's one goal, which is to be the best poker player in the world. And then there's all these things that add to that. It becomes just um, tools to get you to that end goal. So yeah, I think um, when you start to realize that basically like exercise, these like meditation, for example, obviously it takes like say 15, 20 minutes of a day. I feel like that gives you time back. It gives you time back in the day because you're just much more uh, proactive. I think exercise increases energy levels throughout the day. And then diet, diet's just like choices. It's like choose the good things over the bad things and then make it convenient and quick to choose them. So that, that doesn't take away either. Um, in terms of taking away, the only times it did was when I didn't know what I was doing. So when I was pushing gym, gym quite hard and I didn't understand nutrition and I was just eating like kind of the macros and like all the get your carbs and get you the, and I was just kind of eating loads of healthy foods and I felt really sluggish. Um, I didn't understand like um, how to get the best of my body with what I was eating. But yeah, I don't think that, I think you can optimize all those lifestyle factors and I think it's a, a positive and it doesn't take, you don't need to go like, to an elite level, like I'm not trying to be um, uh, an athlete who's competing in an Olympic standards. I just need to, the 80-20 principle where I'm looking after myself to a, a good level, uh, being smart with my days and that's gonna aid my performance uh, cognitively. Hmm. Let's break it down a little bit. Like the, uh, I'm also um, particularly interested in in, in the poly um, facing sleep that you yeah. tried. From personal experience, would you say that it does not work for you or for almost anyone? Okay, so I've done a lot of research on like in, in, since then. Um, I think in general it doesn't work for cognitive performance. So basically, you end up sacrificing quality quantity for quantity. So you get less quality, more quantity. Now, all the research studies, if you look at every study pretty much done these up to this point, no studies really shown that you can uh, take quantity away, that you can take um, hours after your sleep. So the same, like say seven to nine is the range for the average person. An average person, you can't make them optimal on five. You just can't take those hours away. So when you look at polyphasic sleep, it's fine to use it if you're, say, breaking your sleep to two sleeps, say two, three and a half hours, and you're not trying to take away duration. So the, the thing with polyphasic sleep, the mistake I made, I did it because I wanted to sleep less. I wanted less hours. That's the mm -hmm. wrong That's the wrong formula. That doesn't work. It's nothing sure to work. And I, the thing is, there's, you can get by. You can get by on less. I could buy full 12 months and five hours, but what we're, try, what we're trying to do, are we trying to get by? Are we trying to be optimal? Are we trying to actually function at a high level? In everything I've seen, there's nobody who's been able to use polyphasic sleep to reduce their duration in bed and cognitively be at like peak state. So I'd say, yes, it doesn't work for that reason, but it can work if it's because, like, say for you, for example, you're trying to figure out when's the best time to sleep and you might not be able to have a core sleep that works for you. So you might want to break it up and sleep three and a half hours there or three and a half there and break your, your main sleep into two, um, so I think biophasic sleep, I think it's called, where you have two, two sleeps rather than one core one. That can work as long as the goal's not cut in duration. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's basically the, the bottom line that you think just the duration is, is key, but it could be split up. Yeah, there's something about uh, the book Essentialism that I'm, I'm listening to that I also brought up these examples of a guy who actually did exactly the same thing. He cut down sleep by so much over years, and then he would actually take a, a break from everything and he would like sleep 13, 14 hours every day for like months. Um, yeah. just because he was so exhausted from the accumulation of, of sleep deprivation mm -hmm. over the years. So there's definitely yeah. something I would 
um, with all that I've um, you know experienced uh, the last few years, that that's the last thing I want to I want to sacrifice is, is my sleep. Um, this is definitely the only thing that yeah, that obviously. What do you think about the um, time you go to bed and how? Because a lot of people there. Um, also on social media, when you listen to them, when you talk about sleep, they would say like, yeah, going to the same, going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time in the morning, especially getting up at the same time um, is, is extremely important. Did you yeah. um, have any different sleep rhythms when it comes to the time getting up? No, I'm very, very strict. I'm up at 4.30 every day. Occasionally I let it go to 5 yeah, if I, but I'm basically in a 30 minute window. The reason for this, the reason it's so important to pick a block is because you're basically, when you think about it, we've got day and night hormones, basically, where your body wants to go, okay, this is daytime, I produce cortisol and all the other hormones that I'm alert and ready. And then we've got nighttime hormones like melatonin, which facilitate rest. Now, if you're playing around with, I wake up, it's six o'clock one day, nine o'clock the next day, your body doesn't know when to produce the right hormones. And these hormones are super important. Like you need uh, the nighttime hormones when you're sleeping and you need the daytime hormones when you're awake. So when you make it hard for your body to guess, your body's trying to guess up the light time, it's trying to guess up the consistency of when you're awake and when you're uh, getting access to light exposure. If you're, you make it hard for your body to know when to produce the right hormones. So what generally happens is when people, they switch, they wake up at different times, they struggle to get out of bed in the morning. And the reason they struggle to get out of bed in the morning is because cortisol is the main hormone that gets released, spikes when you wake up in the morning, it doesn't get released. So a lot of people, like poker players, for example, are very sluggish and they go, Adam, I can't get out of bed in the morning. And I'm going, okay, there's a hormone problem here because your body doesn't know, you haven't been consistent enough with your pattern that your body's like, now nah, I've used cortisol. This is a really big problem because when players haven't got any cortisol in the morning, there's no drive, there's no, they're just like stuck to the bed. And like, I can't get out. I'm so, and they feel really lazy. They snooze their alarm for two hours, they feel better. And it's a hormone thing. So I think it's very important to have that core structure. I wake up within half an hour is, is, the, is the key. I'm, I'm over optimizer. Some people can are less optimal than me, but um, basically having some sort of structure so your body knows when to produce the right hormones is super key for energy levels. Mm -hmm. um, that is actually very interesting as a, as a whole explanation of, yeah, that, that you, your body needs to know when to produce those hormones. I mean, I haven't thought of, the, of that angle like specifically. Um, I've, I've read or I've listened to like one course about sleep, but um, you know, really no, I mean, do you think like, how long do you think it, it takes you to transition? For example, let's say, um, you know, because of your sleeping rhythm, your body doesn't produce hormones at the right time during the day. How long do you think to teach your body the old rhythm again? I think you're probably doing 20 days, but you've got to be very clever. So the way you do it is basically you pick your, your new slot. I'm going to sleep these times. Then you'd wake up consistently that same time. So like you touched on the wake up times, the more the slightly more important of the variable. Uh, but obviously they're both important because if you you go to bed at different times, you're gonna have less than optimal time in bed, which is super crucial. So basically you wake up at the same time and what you need to do is spike cortisol early in the morning. So for example, say uh, you've, you've been nocturnal for a long time and you wanna go back to a normal pattern. You wanna to go to bed at 10 p.m., wake up 6 a.m. What you do when you wake up in the morning, first thing you do is exercise. So you wanna spike cortisol. So you wanna train your body to produce more cortisol. So the way you do that is when you exercise, you get a stress response from exercise, which produces cortisol, which is gonna elevate it. So you're naturally not gonna produce the right hormones, the right time. You need to force yourself to do that by exercising literally two to five minutes, uh, burpees, push-ups, burpees, push-ups, so your heart rate's like beating out your chest. Next thing you need to do is get sunlight exposure very early in your day. So as soon as sun rises, spend 30 minutes in the sun because your body's literally, the light is the, the main gauge that your body's trying to use is, is it morning. Oh, it's daytime, it's light exposure, great, it's daytime. You do that for like say seven days, your body's starting to think, oh, now it's daytime. Um, and then you want to uh, 
it's the whole evening routine as well. So you want to avoid you want to avoid um, light exposure in the evening. You want to avoid blue light from your laptop for the last hour. The last hour is really key because basically, if I'm on my laptop, I'm getting blue light exposure, which pretty much works like the sun. And my body's now thinking, oh, is it still daytime? What happens is melatonin, which is like it needs to be high for me to fall asleep and get good quality sleep. Melatonin just gets downregulated for about an hour. So if I'm on my laptop for an hour, like the hour before bed, melatonin's like completely off-regulated. It doesn't. I don't feel sleepy and I don't get good quality sleep. Um, and then I, what I would do if I was trying to change cycles, I take melatonin. I take melatonin as a supplement. I take about three three grams of it, so milligrams, three milligrams, sorry, of melatonin. And that's basically my body's not going to produce melatonin at nighttime, and it should do. So I'm going to take it as a supplement for a week. Um, and then I would say about 20 days, if you do that consistently, all of a sudden, because the, the, the hardest thing is you don't feel tired when you should be sleeping. And then when you're trying to wake up, you feel really sleepy and you want to lie in bed longer. The way, mm-hmm. they, the way they mess it up is they feel tired, so they don't get out of bed and they'll lie in for an extra hour or two because there's no way I'm getting up to play poker when I feel this tired. Then there's knock it off. As soon as you have that one lying in for one or two hours, you're back to zero, you're going to start again. Uh, so you're going to be very strict with it for, I say, probably 10 days, you'll be strict with it. And then by 20 days, you'll probably be fully optimized. Okay. Uh, that three milligrams that you take of, of uh, melatonin, um, how does it compare to someone who takes sleep medication? Like how much is that supplement compared to like one full um, pill of sleep medication? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's in the sleep medications, to be oh, honest. Okay. Yeah, but you haven't researched that. Okay. No, but melatonin, yeah, I haven't really went down that route, but melatonin is pretty much the hormone you want. It's, it's powerful. So if you take melatonin, basically what I want when I go to bed, I want melatonin to be high. If it's high, it's great. I'm gonna build. I'm gonna good quality sleep. Now the problem with melatonin is it's a hormone. So it's super powerful. If you take it every day, it um, it ends up uh, your body gets lazy. It stops producing its own supply. It starts yeah. to rely. It's like testosterone. It's like any hormone you take like, don't, uh, for orally, it's gonna your body's down regulating. Then you become reliant on it, and you need that um, supplement. So the good thing to use melatonin is for like small blocks. If you're jet lagged, you're changing sleep schedules. And you can use it for five to seven days, super super safely. And now your body will start to catch up and you'll, you'll be able to sleep through this, the most tired block until your hormones catch up with it. In terms of sleep medication, I'm not sure what doses and what's in there. Yeah, I mean, it could be a really vicious cycle kicking in where you would go ahead and, and just, yeah, your body would unlearn to produce a certain hormone because you just supplemented it too hard yeah. for a long time. And uh, yeah, that, that would be quite detrimental. I mean, I, I love talking about, you know, the topic of sleep because I realize that that has been certainly one of my weaknesses as a poker player over the last couple of years. I mean, the energy levels sometimes have been um, low, I think, due to exactly what you have just described about sleep. And um, I think, yeah, that uh, working on that instead of just always thinking about your strategy, which sometimes can be really secondary. Of course, if you don't have the poker strategy in place and then you're not going to win, but uh, what really separates, and, and maybe we move over to that topic, um, uh, the, the top players from the uh, at the high stakes from the ones that are a little bit lower than that in any poker format is not just their strategy, but yeah, the, the way they handle everything else. So yeah. what do you think uh, apart from, or not just apart from, but um, the transition between like, let's say playing like $100 to $100 and goes to like getting to the 1Ks, where do you think like, how, did you, um, get the best edge um, in the end uh, at high stakes poker, um, playing heads up, sitting goes. I say all mindset. Now, by mindset, I mean mindset is super like multifaceted when I when I think about it myself. So mindset is like your whole approach to the game, your approach to the game, your approach to life, 
how whether you treat things as obstacles or opportunities, whether you learn from mistakes or you dwell on them, whether you are short-term sighted in terms of results orientation or you're thinking of the bigger picture, like everything, we're all like kind of equally clever. Like it's funny because people think this guy's talented, this guy's got this strategy and we, the strategy is like very learnable, especially when you've got your minds in a clear place. Um, so for me, like I obviously put a lot of time into learning strategy, a lot of time into to, to become a better poker player, but like there's a lot of people doing that. It's not like the separating factor in my opinion. What's the separating factor is that you're building that strong mindset and being able to, because uh, poker is full of obstacles, full of, just full of hurdles. Everywhere you go, you're gonna you're just gonna get kind of slapped in the face, and it's gonna be every time you try and move up a buy in a particular. There's a lot of lock goes on, like psychologically, you start doubting your game, you go bigger swings than you've ever been on, and everything that you need to deal with comes on like the mindset aspect. Whereas I built my mindset very very strong over a period of time that when I moved the buy ins, it almost always went really bad to begin with, and I just it was just I was just gaining data in my head. I was like, this is just training, Adam. It's training, just learning. Strategy's not there yet. Okay, you need to learn from that. Okay, well, what's not working? What, why is this guy beating you? Why, why, why are you not as good as this guy? Okay, well, let's go back to the drawing board. This, this is not working. So having that kind of, the mindset where you're, you're humble, you're just going in there trying to learn this game. And when your mindset's clear and you're not dwelling too much on results, you're not getting too caught up in the short term because we're always going to fail. Failure is just like a, a moment in time that you can learn from. You can use it as a, a data point to, to improve your kind of learning curve. And if you do that, you're always going to make progress. But most people, what they'll do is they'll go, right, I'm moving up buy-ins, for example. They'll spend like maybe a few weeks working on the strategy, getting the ultimate strategy, right? I'm gonna crush everyone, like this is it. I put so much work in. They'll go up to the next stake and then something un unexpected will happen. They'll, they'll face maybe an opponent that's causing the problems and then they'll lose and they go, I'm not good enough. I'm just not good enough. I, I thought I was good enough. I can't believe it. I've lost X amount of money. That's 20% uh, of my bankroll. I'm just not good enough. I'm not good enough. And they'll start dwelling on all these things where in reality that's just a moment in time great you've got some data now you realize your strategy wasn't quite there learn from it and mindset allows you to be in the same situation but use that positively so when you've got a strong mindset any any sort of obstacle you face gets used as fuel so it's like oh i'm not good enough for that all right back to the drawing board need to improve this need to improve that how can i get better and when you've got that you're almost like not guaranteed success but you're almost like you never lost because every time everything goes badly, you just learn from it. How can I learn from this? How can I learn from this? And every failure like knocks you forward as well. So I would say my own progression was all due to understanding the power of mindset and then kind of kind of priding myself on always moving the next step, always going, always looking for what's difficult. And every time things got hard, trying to learn from that and not shying away from it. And every time I was going for bad downswings, I remember thinking, oh, this is when most people are probably going to quit and lie in bed. And I was like, right. This is when I really need to put the work in. This is, I'm going to separate myself during the bad times, not the good times. Um, and that's all like the, the approach to the game from mindset. Mm -hmm. Sounds uh, like a, a really awesome way to deal with yeah, the, the, the tough times. As I said, yeah, the, that's the time where you have to, to put in the work and where, where, where all this basically just try to separate the way you handle these situations from all the other players that are a lot of the other players who are not capable of dealing with those downswings. And uh, and just yeah, rise above it and and get going again. I mean, yeah. extremely extremely interesting um, uh, yeah topic. Of course, the whole mindset. What do you think on a when somebody let's say doesn't have that mindset? What what like learning about is like the first step, but it's it's never enough. Like, what would you say is like the step by step thing to do in order to get to that level? I say that well, first step is awareness. So awareness of like the the power of like how strong mindset is. The thing with poker is a lot of people are blindsided 
by strategy because all you see is strategy. You go on YouTube, you're going to see 99.9% .9 strategy videos. You're going to watch streamer channels, field play. You're going to watch the hard histories. And obviously, you're going to get paid relative to strategy over the over the long term. But the mindset is kind of this hidden kind of variable. There's something like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in for mindset. It'll be like, mindset really fluffy. I'm, I'm talking about tactical strategy. And they realize like, you're always going to come unstuck if you don't fix your mindset. If you don't, because poker, there's no hiding place. And every single person who who has any success in poker or not, because anyone puts any volume in, is going to go through a lot of tough times, and they're going to have a lot of self-doubt. And the, the thing that's going to separate you is not going to be your poker ability, because there's so many good players who crumble when, they, when things go badly, and they don't have the potential. If you uh, Basically, the way I, I think everyone should think about it is you need to consistently be improving your mindset. So the way you approach situations, the way you deal with downswings, the, the way you deal with all poker situations, you need to get better at those. And anyone who's naive to that and thinking that, oh, I'm fine, I'm, I, I can handle everything, like, I would I would stress, I would say that you're not, like, there's always room for improvement. So yeah, I'd say um, the, the people who don't focus on mindset always come unstuck. And generally, a lot of people stumble into mindset, they, they realize that, oh, actually, yeah, it is quite important. And it's it's just you being able to maneuver through the poker landscape. Like, mindset's just like, it can be a limited factor, but mindset's, like, your mindset's strong, all it allows you to do is just focus on what matters. Like all you need to do is, is a poker player, focus on what matters, continue to get better, continue to build your bankroll, continue to figure out the strategy game and improve your game. And if you can do that without getting sidetracked, you're going to have great success in poker. Most people get sidetracked and the, the sidetracks are from the mindset. It's from dwelling on your short-term results. It's from the self-doubt that creeps in. It's from you overanalyzing things that you have no control over, such as variance. And you end up getting sidetracked on your poker journey because you dwell on the things that you can't control. So when you control, when you think about mindset or about just things you can't control, you forget about, and things that you can control, um, you you put systems in place for those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you said awareness, and then th and then focusing on what you can control and and learning from your mistakes and and moving on forward. Now, when what uh, do you recommend any poker books, or do you do you think like the awareness could come with like? thinking about it, reading about it, and really, you know, taking your time in this whole mindset space and, and you know, reflecting on where you are at. That mm -hmm. is the first step. So what, what is it that you have read or did you just at some point come up with that yourself? Or did you... Uh... I, I read like so much stuff. So, but when I first started to realize mindset, I just realized I was holding myself back a lot. And I realized I wasn't handling situations well. Every time I was just feeling so frustrated in situations, I felt like... I was going out of control and I was, I was getting angry when I was playing. I was like, oh, there must be like a better way. Um, so I, I think mindset, I think in terms of books, I'll, I'll go there first. I think The Mental Game of Poker by Jared Tendler is the, like, hands down the best game on the mindset of poker and dealing with your emotions as a poker player. I think it was written like probably five, six years ago, but still hands down like the best uh, book I found on that uh, topic in a poker realm. Uh, but a lot of it's like working on yourself like off the tables. Like it's really putting in the work to understand your own responses. So basically meditation, for example, it's not directly related, but it allows you to control your emotions in game. So for example, a lot of players, things will happen at the tables and their emotions will flare up and they, they, they just respond like, oh, I get angry and I, I play it faster and then things things happen. And the reason is things are too quick. Like the, the stimulus to response is too quick. So you need to slow that down. You need to be able to inject logic. So like, this is like the mental game of poker concepts or in this kind of answer where injecting logic over and over. I inject logic so, so, so much in my own head that anything that's any illogical process that goes from my head 
I instantly subconsciously inject a logical statement. So for example, say uh, I lose ace queen to ace king three times in a row. Now I feel unjust, so, so tilt tries to rise and I go, yeah, ace king three times in a row. Like, oh my God, you want to feel like the victim. Now, when you inject logic, you go, this is poker, Adam. This play, like, there needs to be variance in the game or they wouldn't, wouldn't be profitable. Um, I'm still gonna put this guy over the long run. I'm gonna have ace king versus ace queen equally as much as I'm gonna be the opposite. Don't get too like caught up in the short term. Like it's all it's all neutral, and I, I bring it back to what I control. So every time you see your you get um, sort of on a train of thought where you feel unjust, things aren't going your way, you bring it back to things you control and you inject logic. And the more you can do that, the more you start to control your emotions in game. Um, yeah, the, the more in control you are, and then downswings hurt you less and less, and you start to uh, realize that a lot of things are just like basically. I always think we always tell ourselves stories. We're always telling ourselves stories like, oh, this guy gets so lucky, or oh, I'm so unlucky, or anything, like, why am I running so bad, or I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a better player than this guy, and it's just constant storyboarding. But, but but somehow it doesn't doesn't necessarily stop there, because, um, I mean, when I think of inserting in logic, I'm, I'm an extremely logical person, I would say, and I can think of all these thoughts that come up, and you say, yeah, that the speed really matters, for example, when you have that stacked bad beats or the stacked uh, cooler situations, um, the speed of what it happens, the the the, the quantity is is extremely. Um, I mean, that's extremely relevant to me somehow, even though it shouldn't. I logically know that it shouldn't be, but uh, if if the quantity is like way too high, um, then I would start uh, you know getting extremely mad at the situation. And then just inserting logic actually is not where it stops because I can certainly tell myself that it doesn't even matter, and I, I would. And um, yeah, so what's happening there? Where does it? Where, where's the next step? Where do you go from inserting logic? Because just just knowing, it doesn't really stop there, does it? No. So basically, what's happening in those scenarios, like that build up, it's called like accumulation tilt. Where basically your more and more scenarios are stacking on top of each other to the point where anything can happen. So maybe over the course of a week, for example, it's just a real bad week, and then a few things can happen in one session, and you kind of blow up. So what you need to do is like kind of deload after sessions. So uh, the way to deal with that is after you finish a session to get rid of all your baggage. So basically do like a, a journaling of how the session went, what went well, what didn't go so well, what are your feelings about the session? Um, and you've got to almost build it like a tilt profile is what I call it, where basically you're becoming very aware of what situations cause you to tilt. So is it, generally most people tilt bad runs, uh, losing to bad opponents. There's a certain thing that causes you to uh, um, yeah, feel tilt. So you've got to pick basically in the short term, inject logic over and over and over till it becomes your default. So you, you don't be the victim. That's that's number one. Your problem is the accumulation of tilt that's building over time. So you need better stress management and better ways of deloading at the session. So uh, some form of cool down where you leave all the baggage. So say you've had a real bad day, you'd be like, you journal, okay, what went good today? What went bad today? What can I learn from this session? Get Try and get rid of everything that's in your head because once it's stacking on top of each other, it becomes a point where it just overloads. Now, if you're, my argument for this would be, if you're good at injecting logic along the way, like subconsciously, it's so much inbuilt, then it, it's not it's not stacking up as much. It's almost like logic knocks off a few bricks. Whereas if you're almost like trying to be trying to be positive, trying to put some logic, but that emotional part of your brain's like running, and you're telling yourself these stories, like, oh, I'm, oh again, another, another one, another one, and you're going, oh, yeah, it's, it's fine, it's fine. You're trying to reason with yourself, but subconsciously you're building these stories it gets to the point where it's just a tipping point you blow. Um, so you've got to know yourself, be super self-aware, super aware of what causes this. It's always a pattern. Every tilt um, has a pattern. So for you, 
idea where what is this kind of stacking? What does this stacking look like? Is it over days? Is it over sessions? Is it a certain threshold of money? Is it a certain threshold of losing to a certain opponent? Like get really clear on what this boiling point is for you, and then how can you kind of deload along the way and kind of stop it building to a higher point? So it's quite complicated because yeah. it's very individual. Um, but yeah, you can definitely manage it a lot better. Yeah, and uh, also uh, what I learned from meditation, even though I still haven't established a regular form of meditation, I still couldn't do it. It, it is actually one of the toughest things that I've tried because just forcing. Yeah, because but it, it's not really even forcing yourself to, because that's exactly not the point. Uh, but what I learned from meditation is that, yeah, you have to change the relationship with your thoughts. It's not even um, fighting them, but you just have to change the relationship about how you feel about your anger. You know, even, yeah, that noticing, being aware of that there is anger and, um, you know, just even, you know, accepting it in some way and, and making it normal and not like putting for that fight response versus your own thoughts, because that would be going in, uh, into a loop, which uh, would happen to a lot of people um, that go into um, so, sort of self-deprecating language and just talk themselves down about what they're uh, not accomplishing in poker or whatnot. So... Um, yeah, changing the relationship with my thoughts and, and you know, sometimes accepting that I'm, I'm, I'm angry and then, you know, really realizing that that might be a, just a part um, is also a one way of, of how to deal with tilt. What I also yeah. try to do is um, how do you think about, um, you know, when, you, when you're tilting, you have sort of a way of expressing that kind of tilt. Like, you know, some people over bluff massively in poker, some people under bluff massively when they're on tilt. They might call, become a calling station when they're on tilt. So being aware of that and knowing that that is a bad play, like that inserting logic process, is that also something that you are working with, with some of the people you coach? Yes, definitely. So you're right. Everyone in tilts, well, everyone, everyone tilts to some degree. We have our own little patterns, little things we do. Some people like call stuff down because they feel like they're getting run over and like, Fuck this! I'm calling everything. Other people go really passive, and, like they stop like playing the, the proper ranges. Uh, other people play quickly, um, and they'll just start clicking buttons quickly and not thinking about it. So you've got to identify the kind of triggers. So for myself, I realized when I tilted, I played quicker. I clicked the button quicker, and that net just it was costing me money because I wasn't processing decisions and I was just playing too quickly. And I realized myself doing this, but I couldn't stop myself for a while. I was like, so annoying. I know I'm doing it. I just can't slow down. So what I did is I started to um, train myself to be aware of it. So first off, I started to realize, I just started to get in tune, like that kind of, like you said, like knowing your thoughts, knowing how you feel, I'm a bit agitated right now, yes, I am clicking quicker. And then I used an app called Time Mojo, for example, which basically you can uh, pick a, a frame of time for your decisions. So you go, uh, it's gonna take five, five to eight seconds to act. So if I click the button quickly, it's still, I still gotta wait and I can change my mind. So basically, I used a little software to allow me to overcome my own tendency to click quickly if that was my set one so i was aware of it i couldn't slow myself down because i was tilting uh, so i put something in place and then over time i was able to uh, notice what the trigger was so some people are going to play faster some people are going to call down lighter some people are going to bluff more you've got to know what your own tendencies are and spot it so self-awareness so meditation is super super good for this because you start to see your own thoughts and your own pattern of thinking so generally it's, when you're in that mode you you've got to understand okay 
physiology, like physically, what how do you feel differently? Some people get sweaty palms, some people get like heartbeat got starts going, some people feel really like anxious, like notice this change of state of your body. Like I'm, I'm super good at this now, where I notice like straight away if something changes. I notice like, oh, I feel a little bit tired today, or I just feel a little bit anxious. And sometimes I don't know why, like lots of them I don't know why, what caused it. You're like, oh, you feel anxious today, Adam, that's interesting. All right, and I, I started to think about what could be causing it, why I'm feeling this way, and like, like you said, just don't be judgmental of it, just be objective. Now, when, you, when you're a poker player, first up, you should have like a, a tilt profile, so know what your tilt looks like. When you're, like, look for the warning signs, if you're calling down lightly, and what I do is, I, I'm i a big believer in triggers, so triggers to, don't, don't rely on your memory, always have something to spark you. So what I would do is I write stuff down on paper. So I would like, I'd write, I'd notice myself getting quicker. I'd write big capital letters. Adam, stop playing so fast. Adam, stop calling so fast. If an opponent, if um, one of my guys is normally uh, bluff catching too wide, I'll see it, write down in big capital letters and red writing, don't call down so wide. Every time you do, uh, you call him too wide, write it down again, remind yourself and start like, they, I get really competitive myself. I'm like, Adam, you're an idiot. Why are you still doing this? Don't make the same mistake. Um, and just keep doing it over and over. Uh, so yeah, bringing like, it's almost like put a spotlight on the problem. Most people have problems and they kind of just let it slide. Put a massive big spotlight on the problem and then stuff, you know, how can I handle this differently? And the first thing you do is if there's a spotlight on it consistently, you start to feel like an idiot when you make the same thing over and over. So if you're aware that, okay, I'm, I'm tilting, the big spotlight on it, I'm, I'm calling out really wide, you continue to do that, that causes so much pain because now you know you're doing it, you're still doing it. So now you need to go to the next step and you need to start acting differently. So some people, the, the main thing is they have to step away, take a break. So once you've noticed it, you can, you've got actions. You can go, I, I'm a big believer in having toolkits for situations. So you've noticed you, you tilt it and you, that's the first thing. Now you can either take a break, you can either take deep breaths to slow down your heart rate. You can either um, start thinking logically, like just literally don't call down these spots, write it down over and over. And you, you've got to just use different tools based on like where you're at. But yeah, basically, awareness and then start to think of how you can manage the situation better. Okay, sounds very good. Um, you also have your own YouTube channel where you continuously upload videos about how to improve in poker. Um, how was your experience so far on YouTube and, and, and making those videos? Um, are you enjoying that um, content creation side of things as well? I mean, which is also obviously part of what you're doing and basically also to let people know that you help out poker players and how to get better with their mindset performance and, and yeah. And yeah, uh, getting yeah. I enjoy making the videos on YouTube. I'm, I'm going to do two a week for the whole of 2019. Uh, I do very little editing, but I'm probably going to get an editor to do some videos. But yeah, I love the process of thinking about, okay, what problems are poker players having right now and how can I do some content on that? Now my style of content for the most part is like three to five minutes, very little fluff generally around like actionable things they can do. So I, I, that's my, that's why I like to learn myself and that's how I like to produce probably 80, 90% of my content. And yeah, I do, I want, I do it for multiple reasons. One, to get my kind of stuff out there and people aware of uh, what I do, but also to help people. Uh, YouTube's a massive, massive platform for poker players. And I feel like there's not much, there's not much self-development, mindset, performance, optimization stuff on YouTube for poker players. When I look around the realm of it, uh, most YouTube is around strategy and helping people like help play hands better. Um, so yeah, I think there's a bit of a void for uh, helping people like approach the mindset of poker a bit differently. So yeah, I find it really interesting um, trying to help poker players tackle their problems. I get a lot of emails and messages via messenger on Facebook asking me to do videos on certain topics. So I often uh, do topics based on what people suggest for me and if then I pick my own based on what I think the market would like. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, looking really at the problems uh, that are out there in poker and trying to make a video on that 
you know, with the problem base is, is certainly quite valuable on, on YouTube as well because there's a there's a void in that. But uh, I also found that it's actually quite tricky to to make those videos because the the niche is really small. I don't think like sure the players who are looking for that. Um, that's really great because you can actually ex exactly target that kind of question. For example, mm -hmm. what do I do uh, when I'm on tilt, or um, how can I become better at poker tilt? You can make exactly that video title that people might be typing into the search engine, and then they will find your video as well. But uh, yeah, the people who actually do that, there might be very few. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when that's the case, also for the YouTube algorithm to basically um, promote the video to a lot of people that uh, works only on, on a very long lifespan, I would say. Like people will find that through search optimization of your video better. Like, I think that part is, is really important because later on they find that video and then they, they basically can, you know, YouTube always promotes what it thinks is the best target video for the person typing in the question. That's basically what I've learned about YouTube. So unless you exactly produce that video, um, being like a smaller channel still, um, which we probably both still are, even also in the grand space of things, of course, um, it is actually, yeah, it's at some point really tough, but um, yeah. I think, yeah, continuously producing those videos and, and trying just to, to switch up the variables a little bit uh, is really very helpful on YouTube. And I think like one of your videos actually also went viral and had like tons of views. Um, what was your experience with that video? Like, were you um, surprised at that when you got up the next day, uh, what happened? Yeah, so basically like, like for me and YouTube, my relationship is put out content. I'm zero vanity metrics. I don't, I don't care about likes, followers. I, I listen to comments, see what engagement, just to see if like I'm hitting the spot or not. Over time, maybe every few months I'll check which videos are doing well. And I, the, the one that got 25,000 views, it just randomly started to increase. So like hit a thousand, then hit five, they just randomly just hit a market. Um, in terms of that, like I don't really read too much into it. So that, that video was how I went from broke to high stakes poker. So the tagline is very, um, people want to watch it because a lot of players are like, how are you making it high stakes? So it's very, not clickbaity, but more likely for the average recreational player to view. Now that's generally not my demographic, like so much the recreational players who are, kind of starting out in poker trying to make it. So uh, yeah, it was it's interesting. Like uh, that stuff I kind of removed myself from it because I'm not uh, I'm not an influencer. I'm not looking to be like a massively successful YouTube channel as a as itself. I just put value content out there. Uh, I do no optimization. I don't do thumbnails. I do I do very little in trying to maximize views. When I want this get lots of views, I always go, oh, interesting, I got lots of views, that's nice. Um, and I try to re realize, is, is this something the Pokemon market wants, or did it just hit a wider net, like you said? Like a lot of my things I do, I deliberately go quite niche, and I know it's not gonna get many views, but I'm like, this'll hit the guys like I wanted to hit, maybe like I found later, but maybe like, like 200 guys, so I know will really benefit from it. Um, and like the guys I'm coaching, I'm seeing their problems every day. I'm, I have coach calls almost daily with my guys, and I'm seeing the problems that people are having in real time. I'm like, ah, that's it. Once I see the same problem two or three times, I'm like, ah, I need to address this. I need to put something out there. And I'm not really, I'm thinking more of the problems and not really, um, mm -hmm. I'm not thinking as an influencer on how, how to maximize uh, distribution and views and stuff like that. So, yeah, when you have people that, are, that you're working with and you think of, of their problems that they're facing, mm -hmm. um, what, what do you what do you do in in terms of uh, you know visualizing the concepts in terms of like in terms of how I work with people to get like yeah exactly 
Yeah, yeah. So I always break it down to like three things. I always work on getting clarity. So that's like kind of the visualizing. Where do you want to go in life? It's very. It always surprises me how little thought poker players put into the future. It's always I play poker. That's what I do. And it's very concerned past the day to day, month to month. And it's like poker is forever. Don't need to think about too much. And a lot of people don't have a plan, they have a goal. So the first thing I do is get clarity on the, the vision, what they want to do, where they want to go, why is poker important to them? Why do they want to make loads of money? What's this whole life thing about for them? And start thinking about bigger questions. I really challenge them to get outside the comfort zone and think about the future they want to create. Because if you don't think about it, you really don't. You end up just plodding the logs. You really need to think about the, the compelling vision of the future. Then I go on to the plan. So you go, okay, where do you want to be in life? Where are you right now? How do we go from A to B? How do we go from connect the dots from where you are now to where you want to go? What hasn't worked so far? What are your biggest problems? What are the biggest obstacles that are holding you back right now? And how can we get a plan in place that's going to get you to that end point in the quickest time possible? And that's generally going to be into the next thing, the execution. So that's habits, routines. Uh, how can we, what's the lowest hanging fruit for you? So I always identify, I always understand their life situation, what's going on right now. What's the one or two things we can change right now that's going to have the biggest impact on your life? So sometimes it's sleep, sometimes it's get a schedule, sometimes it's deciding on getting that clarity of the vision of what you want to do, so it increases motivation. And then I like to monitor and accountability. I think the keys to success in anything are to monitor and be held accountable. So I always set up my performance monitoring systems for my guys where basically we decide, okay, you need to improve your sleep, get a um, grinding schedule, you need to put in 30 hours of poker this week, and lots of performance metrics that we're going to be measuring over the course of a week. And then I, I monitor that. So I set up documents where every day they're filling in their performance on the things we're tracking. And at the end of the week, we've got data to work on. So it was each week we're setting goals. So it might be like the goals here. Week one's like build these foundations, build these foundations. And I'm always like, I'm always pushing my guys like, can you execute? I'm going to set you this, these things that I like your goal. Can you execute? Because it's having plans are great. Having a motivational talks, great. Getting hyped up all is awesome. I don't care about any of that. I care about action and what you follow through on. And I want to know what you can follow through on and how incremental we need to, to work towards this goal. And then over time, we're getting more data, we're monitoring, I'm holding them accountable because I have calls every single week with my guys. And, and also what I do differently to most product coaches, I only do programs. So I do programs which are minimum 12 weeks uh, when they have calls me every week. Where most, I think all mindset coaches that I've seen do one-on-one -on -one by the hour. So you can just have a mindset coach for the hour. Now, personally, just my style, I. Get, I get so much more benefit from working and building a relationship because I, I want to get to know someone. Yeah, I can hype someone up for an hour, but I want to know, like, what did you follow through on in week one? What were the problems that came up? How can we build on that? And then overcoming all the mindset leaks and the problems that come with being a person and trying to problem-solve situations, and I become the problem-solver of their life. And it's like, okay, you want me to get you to that goal? If you're going to work with me, if you're willing to put in the work, you're willing to um, follow, like, come with me on this journey, I can show you how to get there, but I need, I need like, full dedication from you to... And monitor and hold you accountable. So yeah, I think the secrets of that stuff are monitor everything, figure out what's working, what's not working, and have that level of accountability, which is always, yeah, always like kind of- Yeah, I mean, as, as a coach, having, yeah, that sort of accountability is, is extremely important and, and seeing where people are at. Uh, there's certainly something that, you know, I've always made it for myself and just made it fine and I ask people as well to, you know, be accountable to what they're doing to somehow either write a blog um, have, a, have a file on where you're keeping track of what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And I, I agree that, you know, having um, a program where you go for um, for weeks, like these days, I, I rarely offer people coaching uh, for, just, uh, for just an hour unless they have really specific questions. Some people, I mean, it depends always on the needs of people. Like if someone just wants to review some hands, 
that's sometimes fine. But, uh, you know, obviously the main benefit of coaching is the long-term progression that you can um, cause or, or help someone with um, because in the end they have to do it yourselves. You're not like causing it, but you're helping the person with a progression over a long time. And then, you know, working with a person for like 12 weeks, as you say, uh, is, uh, yeah, is basically what I think brings out the best um, results as well because then they, then you could see really where the – the deep rooted problems are. And, and I think from your approach, yeah, you're focusing on, on performance and mindset and basically uh, a coaching that is uh, more well-rounded than, than just, you know, strategic coaching. And I, I try to do a little bit of uh, similar things. I'm not obviously as, uh, as developed in a lot of areas like the, the areas around being a poker player. Um, I wish I obviously could have better and I try to continuously improve at that. Uh, so I will, would still do the majority of strategy and then still talk about some other areas and at least uh, to remind people that it's not all about strategy, but it's also about the other aspects. And some people, they, you know, they might bring on some problems that they have elsewhere and it actually keeps them from, from you know, having any great performance at poker for sure. That It's not really about poker. It's about something else, about a relationship uh, with family, friends, uh, or just a love relationship that could hold them back for sure. So yes. um, what is, uh, do you have like any examples of uh, of people you work with? Not like calling them by names, but someone you've helped with that uh, you found like a really unique experience that comes to your mind? Yeah, there's one that comes to mind when you say that. There's a guy, I'll not name his name because I don't know if he's... Yeah, started. obviously, yeah. <laughs> he's playing like $100 spins and he had a few coaches. He likes, he's, he's had a few um, coaches in different realms. He had a life coach, he had a poker performance a mindset coach before me. And we had, we had like a kind of consultation call, like, are we a good fit to work together? And he was like, yeah, possibly, not sure. And then we finished the call, he still wasn't sure. And he, he sent me a message and he was like, Basically, what can, like I'm not sure like what what, what I can learn from you and what what's gonna where I'm gonna go with this kind of coaching. I've, I've had coaching before. Um, and anyway, like he was saying that basically the problem that he was having was um, well, basically he decided that he was gonna work with me, he was gonna give it a go and see how it worked. And the first conversation we had, I really pinpointed something that was super holding the back. And basically, it was quick session short. He was unable to play through any sort of downswing. If like he lost like four or five hands in a row. He's generally end sessions and he was generally a hard worker, ambitious person. He had goals to be one of the best 100 spins players and it was really holding him back. And we identified the problem is, I basically said, your problem is bigger than poker. I said, your problem is you're un you're, you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I, I, I said that it really resonated with him. And uh, basically that one phrase, he ended up printing it out, putting it on his wall above his door. And it basically, it was sometimes a problem that comes in poker, comes in all areas of your life. So he, every, everything in his life, he was taking the easy option. Everything, anything, every time he felt, uh, I feel uneasy, took the easy option. Every time he felt that that was going to be hard, took the easy option. The He's way of the least res the resistance, exactly. That's what you, what you would end up doing, right? Just yeah. going that path and, and just saying, everything, all right. Yeah. Everything, all areas of your life, he's doing the exact same thing. And I was saying the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And I was like, you need to get used to being uncomfortable. Like there's something like that's holding you back right now in poker and life and everything. So the first thing we did was like, right, you're waking up early and you're getting a cold shower and he hated the cold. Um, so that's, the cold that, that's so funny because I, like about 30 seconds ago, I really thought of that example before you mentioned it. So we had kind of the yeah. same thought and what you, what you did there. Exactly. Yeah. Like getting uncomfortable. I, I try to improve 
at that skill myself as well. And I did that for a month and it was, uh, it was a great experience for sure. Yeah. 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 So, so that's like a real, because basically shocks the body. It puts you in a situation. Nobody wants to do it. Like nobody gets used to being cold unless you're Wim Hof. Uh, it's a very hard thing. <laughs> um, it's the same as like exercise. I exercise the same as cold exposure. Like you push your body to the limit. You go, uh, I don't want to do this. It's uncomfortable. And you, you train your brain. So yeah, I got exercise and I got to do all like kind of the, Somebody you wouldn't think were related to poker. And then very quickly, he was like, oh, I'm seeing the correlation. I'm seeing like, yeah, I, I was avoiding this uncomfortable situation at the tables. And we started to journal it. So I got him to start thinking about why is it you feel uncomfortable and why you choose the easy option. And then I started challenging every week. I was like, I'm challenging to go through uncomfortable situations. So every time you feel like quitting, play for five more minutes. Just play for five more minutes. You're not going to die. The world's not going to end. You need to increase your resistance and increase your tolerance for this feeling that you have and you're going every time you feel it you go easy option you feel this way easy option you need mm -hmm. to overcome that you need to work on that tolerance level so he was the one because that was interesting because literally one one phrase and so it's, it's really interesting because sometimes people hear the same things and they pay, they paid all the advice before they paid all this thing it's just one sentence one moment in time will hit you and you'll go ah yes yes that one that one right now from you at this moment i'm willing to listen to you and that was the one for him so yeah, print on his wall, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And he still sends me a screenshot of it, like every now and again, he'll send me four of one, still got it. Um, yeah, yeah, and then, a, then it's, it's awesome when you had someone also take, uh, takes on action in the end, you know, and really tries to work on that, you know, really commits to doing something about it. And then it's really about, yeah, how, how much does it, sometimes it's also about the, the why behind it, how much meaning, um, you know, accomplishing something poker has, or for someone to pull the trigger and really take on that massive action, which is in the end necessary. And you're basically there to guide the person uh, to take on the right action, um, and you know, that could help the person. Um, I think or give, give the idea, right? P pitch yeah. the idea, basically, that's what you're doing. Sure. And to challenge them, I think so, so much of life, you've got to think bigger. You've got to challenge yourself to do more. You can do more. You can, you can, you can do so much more than you're doing right now. You mm -hmm. just accept this level. So my, a lot of my coaching is around raising standards. And I write, I, 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 exactly what you said, understand their why, what they want and why they want it. And then a lot of the time, they've got a strong reason why. They've got a good, like, big ambitions for the future, but their actions aren't backing it up. And I'm like, then I'm really digging a great, this is, You've, you've really tapped into why you want to achieve it. This is the big goal, but your daily paper is just not enough and you're never going to get there. I'm going to challenge you to raise your standards and not accept this pathetic level of performance that you've had so far. And every single week, we're going to move that bar up until we're to a point where you're on track for your goals. So uh, that's where like one-on-one -on -one coaching like, weekly is really, really important because there's no hiding place. There's no hiding place. You've got to get a coaching call every week. performance. We've got all these measures, which I keep and I'm super strict on make sure everyone follows them. I, I check up through the week and like, make sure you fill it in all your monitoring because we're going to be going over it. And it's just, it's easy to hide from yourself. It's not easy to hide from a coach. You paid to help you. You feel a lot different. So that level of accountability. And yeah, a lot of my job is get them in the right frame of mind, get the right systems in place, but then challenge them to raise that standard for themselves. Yeah, I would even go one one further. This, uh, when, when you think about raising the standards of someone and, and what that um what it means is also it has to come from the right place i think that um when for example i really i think that the the whole industry or not just poker but in, also in developing as a person getting better at something and optimization is uh extremely complex i mean that's the way i see it and one of the things that i've learned recently is that too much optimization can be somewhat dangerous too. You have to be careful also with what mentality comes. Uh, um, I always think of, of that one factor, that, which is gonna be 
how much of the desire to become better at something comes from a place from compensation and that mean that means like you've probably dealt with a lot of people and yourself as well when your belief system tells you yourself um there can be some certain of degree of you te you're telling yourself that you're not good enough for something it doesn't even matter what it is but mm -hmm. as soon as you have that element and i think most people like i would say over 90 have that element in them it's just depends on how much compensation then they are going to use with whatever they're doing to um yeah to yeah to compensate that belief right that yeah. they're not good enough for something even yeah. if it's just a little bit but that um if you do it too much that compensation thing especially in poker it would be way too easy to do that it would be way too easy to say i want to become a high stakes player because uh you know this is going to make me feel better about myself and yeah. if that is the case that's actually one of the the worst thing you can have as a reason to become a you might still be succeeding but mm -hmm. you're sacrificing so much in order to accomplish that and even if you do accomplish you might not even be fulfilled doing that you might not even feel anything good after being there because you realize that the money might not change anything uh you know long term but you have been pursuing this for like a long time and you have put in this huge amount in terms of time that you sacrifice and then accomplish something you actually didn't even want for the wrong reasons that is mm -hmm. that is even to to give a little bit of a um a contrast to that that uh yeah that you're not only trying to optimize but uh and, and then you know raise your standards but raise your standards for the right reasons yeah that is, uh, yeah, yeah. my approach no, I love, I love it. It's always like, um, we've all got this, like you said, I think it's 99.9% .9 of people have got this. We're always chasing something and we always we always want to feel in that when we get to this point, we're going to feel very different. And we always see the fulfillment, sense of achievement, sense of self-worth. And when you put all of your eggs in one basket and you go, okay, I'm going to be the best poker player in the world because that's going to make up for all this stuff I've done. But like my bad childhood, or this insecure feeling I've got, when I make all this money, then I'm going to feel amazing and it's going to overcompensate for everything that everything else. And you get there and you have that success in poker because you've been so fueled and then you realize, shit, it wasn't, it, it didn't fulfill me at all. So that's why I'm so, I'm so keen on like being a, grown as a person like through poker. Like poker is like massive on self-development. You learn so much about yourself um, and if you're, if you're growing as a person through the poker journey, you can end up in a, like, such a different position like for life. So for me, like when I look at my poker success, I got in for the money and I, I thought, all I thought was make X amount of money and I'll be so happy, uh, exceed all my money goals. And I've got very little like kind of pride and satisfaction from that. All my, when I look back at my poker career, it was all about the growth and like the kind of person I came, became, all the obstacles I overcome, the mindset I developed, which I could take into the rest of my life. That was so much more important than than uh, just the financial and the outcomes themselves, um, which I didn't realize. I had no, no clue that was going to be the case. And uh, I think poker is such a interesting self development tool if it's used in the right way, and it's not just all or nothing trying to achieve financial success to, like like you said, like kind of compensate for um, a feeling that you might be inadequate or not worthy. Yeah, I mean, poker for me also has been a great teacher. I think that a lot of the things that I'm learning now. Um, I've only experienced and, and learned because of the reason because I play poker because I just put was put into that situation of uh, you know maybe of a downswing or of of winning a bunch of money and then realizing that it's it's not really that fulfilling. Uh, it is certainly great to make money, but at the same time, 
you want to have other things in life as well. And yeah, it just forced me into really awkward situations and, and also thoughts that I would have probably not had if it wasn't for poker. Maybe I would have had some different thoughts in a different path. For example, teaching is also one of my paths, which I'm still on because I teach people about poker. But uh, I was teaching high school before that and about languages, which was obviously a little bit different from the more math-based poker game. And uh, I've, I've certainly learned a lot in there as well, but uh, at a different pace, and it would go into different dimensions probably than, than poker and different areas. And, uh, um, and poker has, has, I think, a lot even more levels to, to human psychology. Um, to your own psychology first and then your opponent's psychology as well. I learned so much about not just myself, but also about other human beings and how they work in poker. Maybe a little bit more too, too much centered around weaknesses because that's what you're trying to exploit in poker. So I would see the dark side of people maybe a little bit more than their positive sides because people don't tend to show their positivity at the poker table in the best light. Like some people do, but maybe a lot of them don't. And you would get to know them uh, from a whole totally different standpoint than if you were interacting with them in, in, in other areas of life. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, and poker is all about looking for weaknesses. You're trying to exploit, you're trying to kill people, like you're trying to, it's competitive nature, so you're homing in on weaknesses. Anyone who's a good player, solid player, somebody you respect, generally goes quite unnoticed. You might like have respect from afar, but you won't like dig into them as much. Um, so yeah, there's obviously poker, I think it's, I think it, it's got so much potential to bring out like good in people in terms of your own personal development. And it's such an internal journey. Like try to, even if you don't make it that far in poker, just that constantly dealing with the struggles, it puts you in lots of high pressure scenarios, which allow you to, if you push the right way, you can learn so much about yourself and how you handle uh, situations. But yeah, it's just like other people, like I, I did so much as well from uh, being a poker player, learn about psychology, how other people think, why, why they think different to me. I, at first I thought everyone thought think the same, everyone thinks like me, don't they? Um, then I started to realize I'm quite a logical person. Um, I've got like an element of feel base in me, but I do think very logically. Um, and I struggled with people who didn't think logically, like even my girlfriend, I'll kiss her a fight with because she's less logical than me. And I'll be like, what? Logic is right. And it's funny when you're logical driven, you're- She's you're a woman, you're a, you're a man. But, but, <laughs> that right. has certainly some implications, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, just these are the topics would be, it was like the way of processing information. Uh, but yeah, poker is definitely huge. Like, one of my biggest interests is behavioral psychology. Uh, that's like, that's the thing I geek out on the most other than probably fitness, but actually probably psychology more so. Uh, I just read forever and ever because I'm so interested in the human brain. From one point, I want to understand myself and then I want to understand other humans and how, how to interact with them better and how, how everyone's going on this little journey. We all think we're so individual, going on a so unique path. In reality, we're all very similar. We've all got similar thought processes and we're going through similar struggles. And the more you can like, understand yourself and understand what other people think, the better the life experience, in my opinion. I mean, that's interesting. I was going to you're saying you're, you're living with your girlfriend in Bali, right? So, how did that lifestyle of yours of living in a place like Bali? Um, how did you guys meet, and and how did it? Uh, it was was there a transition to that lifestyle, or are you together for less than that time you've been there? Yeah. So we we first met like when I was just about to go traveling, like start poker journey, 2011, um, and then she stayed in England. I went to, to Thailand. Then later, probably, I think mid-2012, so I've been playing poker 18 months, I came back to England and did like a, a block of time in England then. Then we got together properly, and I started living in England for six months, and we, we started uh, fully from there. Then the friends who I was living with um, in Thailand originally 
decided they were going to go to Bali. And then basically this conversation was going on. My girlfriend had a full-time job and she was like, Adam, I'm not moving to Bali, not a chance. Um, she ended up, uh, she was going in between jobs, like this window of time, she was going for a, a new job opportunity. And um, she, didn't, she didn't get the job she wanted, this, this dream job. And then it was like, she had a little bit of time in between. I was like, why don't we just go to Bali? Have like a two, three month holiday, we'll go see our friends, we'll have a good time there and we'll see how it goes. That was long story late, uh, short. We went there for three months. On that three month trip, we committed to a villa with our friends for another year. And then from there, my girlfriend loves Bali probably 10 times as much as me. Uh, she, so we've been here nearly five years now since we moved to Bali uh, together and we've been, yeah. Yeah, but that's probably that's probably not for everyone either. Like, yeah, yeah. but as you say, she loves Bali so much that that uh, yeah, always is is great. But uh, you really have to like the place too, where where we live. And there's certainly um, not everyone is ready to live in like multiple places. But I mean, yeah, the sun and everything. I mean, it has a great climate there, right? I mean, you got throughout. The whole year, what's the lowest it will get, like in terms of 28 degrees? So, the worst weather is like now, it's actually really sunny last week, but uh, basically, it's like rainy season where like December, January, it has rain like maybe three to five hours a day, like real torrential downpour. We've got monsoon seasons in Thailand. Other than that, it's really hot, even when it's raining, it's super hot. Uh, the temperature doesn't drop, the humidity changes. So, like this time of year is really humid, it feels like five, 10 degrees hotter because the humid in the air and then the best months of the year kind of june through till august but i'm generally back in europe during those months anyway uh, but that's with a bit more breeze coming through but the temperature is super consistent um yeah so if it's a great place to live like probably negatives are you're very detached from the world and europe's like so so far away that it's quite it you miss your friends and stuff and um, the other thing is like it's not westernized so you can't unless you work online you do your own thing there's not like many things you can do like for occupation so uh, you meet, you meet a lot of interesting people who are making the way in the world doing online stuff. It's more and more popular these days. Um, but a lot of people in Bali are travelers. So I would say uh, probably 90% of Westerners who, who you'd meet will be gone within a week. So you, 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 you have this like, weird, like, kind of, uh, apart from maybe the gym, the gyms are more like long term memberships and certain, certain environments. You've got like kind of the people who live here, but it's got that kind of people flowing through, new flow people, and like a small amount of expats who. You've got to be making something work quite well online to live here long term. So yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can imagine that that's uh, yeah for for some people it would be um, they would feel at some point quite nostalgic about the old times because of that uh, transition of, of people coming and and, and leaving uh, mm-hmm. and then you know not building those long lasting relationships with also other people at, in Bali because you have people just come and go and then yeah. you know feeling bad about that especially when. I think people want to like do you have any plans for having a family i mean because, because that i could see as quite problematic at, at least at first uh, how would you uh how are you see, guys seeing that yeah not it's not been thought about since uh so yeah maybe a few years we'll start to think about that but yeah definitely if we're having a family having kids or anything i'm not sure body would be the place because it is like you have to go for a private school it'd be a very big conversation to have uh, when it's just like me and, me and my girlfriend, we both love Bali, so it's like super easy to continue to, to live here. Um, all, all my friends are back home, just getting married, starting families themselves now. So it's getting to that, I'm getting to that age now where I'm starting to have to think about the long-term future a bit more than I have. Well, it's, it's not that necessarily about you, it's more about her than her, her yeah. biological clock, I would say. Yeah, yeah. 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 Freeze it. We can you almost freeze eggs these days. And, at the time scale <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're very creative for sure so uh, yeah i mean uh you know that is certainly something that 
that you know Bali could be also just a phase of some years, five years, ten years, right, of your time, and you could look at it at a decade. Like well, when I think about life in general um, and about projects or phases like that, I you have to always remind yourself and people who who struggle to understand what maybe you and I are doing in terms of this poker life, what they might not see is that you always have a choice. Like mm -hmm. you can always choose to do something new tomorrow. Yeah. And I think that's what they don't see sometimes in, in lifestyles, um, like the poker player's lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think people, you know, they, they sometimes think you're extremely crazy and, and, and you mm -hmm. just choose that and, and no, you're not, you're just doing what you think is doing best at the moment. Like, you know, from, from my perspective, like playing poker and then doing more YouTube content and teaching playing poker, I could, I could do something else in, in two, three years, not saying that I wouldn't play poker anymore, but I could, if I yeah. put my head to it, it just takes a lot of trust in your ability and then you can go for it. And, um, you have to first also tell yourself that because maybe you would think that you cannot just transition that you're committed to poker you're committed to to coaching people or you do whatever no you can you can always have to you always have the choice to do something new and uh i've actually followed lots of people not just in poker who have had that mindset because i want to be reminding myself that that there are people out there who have lived that life of sometimes there's this one guy from germany who i follow um he's been a doctor and then he he somehow the next day has then transitioned to being a speaker you know, like and you know as a doctor you would have sacrificed like a decade to get into that like yeah, there's yeah. so much sunk sunk cost right or yeah, that yeah. he had but then he still made the the jump and become became an entrepreneur and maybe he struggled for a year or two or even more even longer but then he went on to become a speaker and and you know inspire people uh, to live uh life on their own terms and become entrepreneurs themselves. So I think that that story of, of him just reminded me of, yeah, there's always another choice. And yeah, I actually think you know, I'm generally really bad at this. You're obviously very good at you think in the right way. Like you've got choices, you can, you can do poker, you can do teaching, you can do 10 of the avenues the next three to five years if you want to. I think most poker players don't think this way. They feel very caged in. And a lot of poker players, they, they stay in poker way past the enjoyment phase. And the reason is because when you're, Play poker when you get good at it, especially when you get good at poker young, you end up with really good income, like uncomparable to anything else you could do at that time. And you've been very skilled at it and you almost become too one-dimensional to some degree that when, when I started thinking about moving outside of poker, all my friends who were playing high stakes were like, Adam, like you'll be back in like a month. There's no way you're gonna go to like super low income after like why would you? And I was like, well, money's not the motive anymore, so I, I need to do something else for me. And um I think a lot of poker players get trapped in the poker lane. Uh, because they don't think about you've got options and I think as a poker player everything should be about creating more options for the future because poker like there's not many people who are going to have a successful 30, 30 year career in poker you might get exceptions you're going to have, obviously you probably have on one hand like the, the Ivies, Antonius's, Negranos I have 30 year careers but it's super rare so basically poker is going to be a, a five to ten year sort of career choice for a lot of people then what then what next? And most poker players will, will dread to think about that. And like even the guys I work with, I challenge them to go, like, what next? What next? Where, where are we going? Where, where are we going in life? Because life's a bigger picture than poker. I mean, there, I think it's really important to nourish your skill sets. Like, uh, also, the, the great thing I like about what I'm doing now, even though I'm, I'm dabbling between, you know, putting out content and being a poker player, like, I have not 
stop being a poker player just because I'm teaching it, uh, which I might have might have been the better option. But uh, what I like is that I'm nourishing the skills that might be very useful in the future, like making videos, yeah. producing content being in front of a camera. Um, this can help me do some other things in the future. And and a lot of people, they might, as poker players, not think about nourishing their skill sets and sh sharpening the saw of like some of the things that you were good at as a child, right? Um, mm -hmm. Whether that is, uh, you know, uh, speaking or creating something that teaches people something, creating content. Um, maybe you're even not good at it at all. I might have been really terrible. I might still be bad in some ways right now, but um, you can always learn and you can always become better at these things and, and just make it one of your strengths. And, uh, you know, as long as you have that belief. By the way, one question that I really uh, had before as well, which I don't want to forget is, have you ever advised someone to stop poker? Stop yes. Yes. Two people. Two people who basically... Um, I I'm when I coach people, I'm always looking up for their, them as a person, their best interest at heart. And when I feel like poker is not serving that person, so generally what happens with the way that conversation will go is like, okay, you're really not enjoying poker right now. Uh, you're doing it because you feel trapped and you've got no, you don't take other options. You haven't thought about the future because it's really scary to think about. And you're going to play poker for the next few years because you feel like that's all I can do. So I challenge them, okay, well, where do you want to go in life? And I've talked with two guys where I've really had them basically come with a get out clause for poker. What do you need to do to get out of poker? How much money do you need to make? Or what time frame? How can we like turn your life around and go to, to a different direction? Because I don't feel like you being stuck in poker right now is gonna be your best avenue. Um, it's not like it's not like a black and white conversation. It's just like what my advice is to them. I'm very personalized in my coaching. I always give super, super honest advice whether I think they like it or not. Uh, so for those ones, it's generally, I don't think poker is a fit for you right now. And I think you need to be thinking of how you're going to get out of it. Um, and that's something that scares you, but you need to let's face it head on. So yeah, I've had like two conversations where it's been like really black and white that I feel like they should be out of poker in the next six months because I feel like it's not doing them, it's not taking them where they want to go in life. Um, actually, yeah, very recently I had one like literally about a month ago where I give that exact advice. And then he's, he's went traveling for a few months to kind of figure stuff out uh, because he wasn't, wasn't and he financially he was in a good place that was good like he was in actually a actually good position financially he just didn't know he got everything all his validations of person from poker and he just didn't know where to go next and he just kind of uh, he turned to me for like how can i how can i do more how can i i'm not motivated i'm kind of hating poker right now how do i get the love back and as we dug deeper it was like i don't think you should get the love back i think you've kind of you've achieved your poker goals to be honest and you need to move on and that's the just the, the reality of the situation yeah, I think the, that that's a really great point when you look at someone who comes to you and, and wants your coaching that you're also willing to um, advise a person to get out of poker and not just think of, you know, especially like some people, they might be doing coaching for profit or something like that. And they, they would always think of how to make the most money out of the, the student instead of, you know, thinking the best interests of the student and thinking, okay, if this person really would have in his best or her best interest that, that, you know, they would have to get out and do something different and you have to um, definitely, you know, advise the person to do so. If definitely. I think, like I said, I think poker is a limited um, kind of shelf life for everyone. And I think everyone should be thinking past poker. And it's interesting because, um, yeah, one of my guys is a super crusher and he's, he's going to kill it over the next year or so. 
And he said, yeah, and it feels like sometimes you're always telling me like to do next, think after poker, think after poker. I'm like, yeah, because I just, I know you're going to crush poker. I know you're going to achieve all your financial goals. And I know you're going to be going like, what next? So I'm just preempting you for what's going to come. And you've ticked off all your financial boxes for poker. I'm just telling you, you need to be thinking what's next because you're going to get there. Um, and yeah, I think all poker players need to think past poker. I really, really do. And there's very, very few who can put all the eggs in one basket and go, I'm a poker player for life. Done. I'm not going to think first. Like you said, think of the skills. Like, like you said, like what we're doing now, video, making videos, content creation, these skills are going to be super valuable in the future. Twitch right now, like every poker player should be streaming on Twitch. It should be really like um, just getting an audience to follow them. So like, if, there's th three things. You can have audience, you can have relationships, or you can have money. So there's, there's the three kind of things that are going to protect you in life. So mm -hmm. if you're a poker player, go ahead. Well, well, well uh, with the twitching, I might disagree a little bit. I think like Instagram and, and things like that uh, might be much uh, better tool to like Instagram stories and et cetera. That might be for, for that might be much better. Like I like Twitch as a, as a form of interaction, but I, I would say that maybe I'm wrong with this, but Twitch streaming for every poker player is certainly not a thing because first of all, uh, it will be a, an insane struggle. And the, the amount you put in, especially as a new streamer, if you're not having immediate success and get like hosts from other people, it might really not be uh, worth your time at first uh, or for, for a very long time. And then it also is not guaranteed that someone who follows you at poker and wants your expertise from poker and what you can teach them about that, that that person is necessarily going to follow you towards like, you know, as a, as a follower to, towards something else that you're doing in the future. Like, I, I, yeah, maybe... Yeah, it's like, I, I think it's more just you getting used to being in front of a camera and telling your story. So when you're on mm -hmm. Twitch, just tell, tell your life experiences. But it doesn't matter the platform. Platforms are relevant. Mm -hmm. um, Twitch is almost just like a good, easy, a lot of poker players use it. You can, you can stream as you're playing. Um, Instagram story, like, yeah, anything, any video where you're just putting out content. And the main thing is you telling your story. You get used to telling your story. I think it's super powerful. Whatever medium you choose um, is really good. And also by telling your story, you start to, Think about the person you want to be and the message you want to tell over the long term. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just a funny comment in, in the chat. All he says, I've barely just finished watching Wise to Sleepy Haze, your last podcast, and you're up at the crack of dawn, rolling out another too much content to get through. You ain't the Disney yeah. company. <laughs> hey, Ollie, how's it going, man? T Grind also in there. I um, also want to make uh, sure that the people are in here that they have an opportunity to ask you some questions. So if you're yeah. If you're there, you know, fire up some questions. Otherwise, it, it's going to be too late. I might also do like a re-upload of this podcast because of the small interruption we had at the beginning. So I might yeah. just re-upload this and, and then cut out like the couple of minutes we had. So yeah. might be might be a better better solution. Yeah. So let us know if you're still there in the chat, Oli and, and T Grinder. If you have any questions that you can come up with. Yeah, yeah questions. Yeah, let's, let's wait a little bit. Maybe some questions will, will come in. Um, just a couple of questions that I ask all, all, a lot of the guests are randomly at the end, uh, kind of a quick fire as well. Like, what would you advise yourself 10 years ago? Mm -hmm. If you could talk to your younger self? Yeah, 10 years ago. Okay, so I would, I think now 10 years ago, that was just about, I just finished university that time. I would, so back in those days, I was very carefree. I was going out like three, four times a week. I would say uh, things are going to work out all right for you. 
Uh, you're a hard worker, you're disciplined, but think more about the future. Don't, because I was an optimistic person and I relied on optimism to kind of stop me thinking too much about what to do next, thinking oh, it'll all work out. So I would get myself to plan more. I'd plan the future more and I think I could have got to my destination quicker. Um, and I would have said there's no right or wrong way uh, to live. Just uh, be brave. In, in 20 as well, I'd go, fucking go for it. Like, don't be a pussy. Like, anything you, anything that goes wrong, you can recover from it. Like, anything. Uh, be bold, take chances, and don't don't look to optimize. Don't have experiences and find out where you want to fit in life. Um, and part of me thinks I optimized too early with poker. Like, I put six years in, and it's like really, really, like, full optimization. Like, all my habits around, like, just being a poker player, Part of me thinks maybe I shouldn't have done that in my 20s. Maybe that was too early and I should have been exploring my avenues a bit more. Uh, that's just part of, part of me kind of thinks that way. There's always, you, you do one thing at the, at the cost of something else and you've always got to be careful like what, what you choose to do. So yeah, my, my advice would be uh, take more chances, uh, plan the future more, or at least like think about where you want to go in life. Um, and then I would say probably build relationships with people who inspire you. Sounds good. So, yeah, Sounds good. Um, there it's also, yeah, the, uh, we touched on that a little bit earlier as well. I tried to comment on that, the, the optimization thing. We always want to have things earlier in our career. You know, yeah, you, you already said, yeah, I wish you, it was even when you were younger, then, you know, it took you a little bit longer than expected. That's what, what I got from it. So yeah, there's always a little bit of danger to that as well, like trying to be faster at, at accomplishing certain goals. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the, the one phrase that I had from, from this book, Essentialism, is yeah, do less, um, but better. I mean, yep. just uh, yeah, reduce the amount of things that, that you do and, and just do it better. And, and also you said, yeah, think more about the future. Um, also there, you can obviously do it all over the top. And I think the meditation, how do you feel about that? Because there's always a, a two-way things to that. Because meditation will teach you not to... Uh, have you read uh, that book from... Uh, power of now have you read that oh yeah yeah very deep book yeah yeah but you're saying like live in the or not live in the future but think about the future but that's yeah. already partially you living in the future it's just staying not in the present moment yeah. so when you say like think about that more meditation yeah. would tell you otherwise wouldn't it yeah yeah so i think like a lot of like basically for, for the reason I said that is because I had very, like, almost zero thoughts of the future. Now, it's problematic when you haven't got a roadmap, when you don't know where you're going. So for me, like, I was literally, like, drinking, like, almost every other night, and all I would think about was from the Friday to the to Saturday. On Saturday, I'd start thinking about going out on Tuesday, and I just didn't have a vision or a map, and I, did, I didn't want to stop. So I think there should be elements, I think maybe 20 to 30 minutes of your day should be spent thinking about the future, like, where you want to go, what direction you, you're taking your life, then the rest of your day be as present as you can. Just do one a task and be fully submerged in it. Um, I didn't have that balance. I was just go with the floor, but for the wrong reasons. Because I was scared to think about the future. The future was scary to me. And I didn't want to put any time into it. So yeah, it's, you're right in terms of it is about being present. It is always about doing less as well. Uh, but knowing where you're going in life is super, super important. Like, I think that's what I'm doing right now. I spend 30 minutes every morning. I meditate. I do my goals for the day, I plan out my day, do some reading, and I think about, I literally stop and visualize where I'm gonna be like 10 years from now. And the reason I do that is because it's not what I do naturally, and I need to know the path I'm going on. Because I'm, I'm good at executing, I'm good at getting stuff done, but like sometimes you being busy and doing tasks is not, the, if it's not in the direction with where you wanna go, uh, or you haven't thought about the direction it's taken you, you're gonna end up in a place you don't wanna be on like further the line. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I've always thought 
about when, when it comes to this topic is are not always now just recently and, and really try to come up with an explanation of how people are um, in terms of delayed gratification. I think that's a big topic that also in the future I have some ideas, but I want to manifest them somehow talking about that because I think nobody or at the moment at least comes in from that angle um, mm -hmm. of, of, of looking at people from that 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 side because yeah as you say you were basically on a scale zero to a hundred you were a person who just lived day by day like zero delayed gratification you were just taking the day yep. as you could and then just you know carpe diem seize the day yep. and then there's the co complete opposite of the spectrum where you would work super hard on everything just to have it better in the future and i think like some of the keys in life is to be somewhere in the middle so for a lot of areas you can put that on so many areas of life you can put that for your fitness you probably could destroy your body long term if you went over the top and said okay you know and also made some fitness sacrifices like take, taking too many supplements of some sort or the other like yeah yeah if you take something maybe you also take that additional supplement which might be not proven that it, it could actually hurt you like I'm not saying like supplements are bad or anything, but but they, yeah, I mean at some point if you take something to help you achieve your fitness goals, maybe you're ready to at some point take anything, right? Yeah. Or am I? I mean, no, you're right. You're right. You're basically like that. It's so like basically you're saying if you take like the sort of short-term gratification too far, or you take the other way where you just work too hard yeah. for an outcome and the sacrifice of the short term, both are like kind of very problematic in the wrong right you need to be somewhere in the middle and i think to be in the middle is self-awareness i think once you've got self-awareness you realize who you are and who you want to be and how they're relative to each other when you lack self-awareness you're over here on the spectrum and you don't know you are so when i was like 100 self zero like basically living in the moment not thinking about the future i didn't know that's how i was i, was, I wasn't self-aware enough and on the other side when the people are working so so hard sacrificing every single day for a better future they, they, they lack self-awareness, that they, they're not seeing all the pieces of the puzzle that you want to have something today is you can't sacrifice them all for a better tomorrow. It doesn't make sense to sacrifice. Yeah. And in poker, when you were chasing the money, you were exactly doing that, right? Within the realm of poker, you were probably 100% on delay gratification because money wasn't doing it for you, but you were still committing everything. Well, on the same side, when you say committing everything, health, uh, fitness, and all, all these uh, areas, it is also doing something good for you, but it was always under the um whole realm of poker you just wanted to become the best poker player that you can be that's why you did these things not because you think they were good for you you think they were making yourself the best poker version and that whole thing was actually for the future it wasn't for the now so did you ever have the feeling that you put that to the extreme as well or you you didn't like i did but like basically like i was aware that the basically i'm a weird character in terms of I, i'm not motivated by money but i made a lot of choices that were looked like were fueled by money um, so basically, I, I found out quite quickly, maybe when I first said my first 10K, like I mentioned, that money wasn't really going to change my life. Like, you could change my bank balance to any degree. It's not going to make me feel that much different. I'm not going to get that much self worth from it. Um, so I realized money's a tool for me. So I realized with poker, I, want, I got out of balance for a period of time and just literally everything about poker. And I, I did it with a kind of uh, just a logical mind. Like, okay, I think it's worth sacrificing XYZ amount of years just working really hard on this to create this buffer of financial cash so I can control my work life for the next 50 years. So I almost like hedged on myself to do really well in poker and then from that open up options. Now I could have went more balanced and done less well in poker and I think 
I'm not sure what the right, right or wrong answer was, but the way I approached it was with a lot of self-awareness that I was willing to um, delay gratification in order to create more opportunities for a long period of time. Um, how long to do that for? I was in debate. I probably did it for maybe a year too long. Um, but yeah, I do, I do think unless you have financial wealth for yourself, you're always going to make decisions based on money. And I wanted to create my 30s through till 80 where I make decisions based on what I want to do and what I want to have an interest in. And if I had to sacrifice five years to control 50, um, with more control, I was willing to do that. All right. And um, what do you think you will want to invest in the future? Just invest in yourself, and but also invest in terms of, do you have, can you think of any investments you would want to make? Not particularly, so like, yeah, like obviously there's investment in cash, investment in yourself. Like I'm, I invest myself every single day and I always will. Uh, I read at least one book a week, often two books a week. Uh, I'm massive on it. All I care about is me becoming the best version of myself. That, so I can look in the mirror and be proud of myself. And then I also care about elevating the people around me. So I want to be a good leader. I want to be able to, people I come to contact with, I up them to their next level. I'm really uh, inspire people with the way I approach my life and the, the impact I can have on people. When it comes to investments, like right now, I don't need, like I've got lots of investments already, um, which like just keep, keep that financial kind of cushion for myself. Uh, I'm more of a kind of index funds, kind of stock market where it's just low, low return, long term. You'll again delay gratification. I'm happy to invest a high percentage for, leave that for 20 years, balance the portfolio. In 20 years, like it's 5 to 7% on average. Just leave it for 20 years. You don't like, I, that's my style. I'm not going to invest in Bitcoin, crypto, uh, because I, Investments mainly for the money, so for me it's more security. Um, so the more maybe real estate, real estate will be the same. I invest in property for the same reasons. I'll probably get um, I have visions of getting like a performance studio, like a high performance center in Bali over the next few years um, to kind of base myself from. That's something that's on my on my mind. But yeah, I haven't got much in terms of what I'd invest in other than passive income streams. What's the most uh, life changing book that you've read the last year? or two years, three years? Um, Life-changing. One of my favorites would probably be Principles by Ray Dalio. Love that book. So Ray Dalio is like the hedge fund manager from Ed Bridgewater. He owns like a $160 billion hedge fund company. So he shared his principles of work in life. Um, and three people recommended this book to me. People rarely recommend books to me. Go, this guy's like similar to you. You'll resonate with his message. Um, and I did. I really liked his book. And he's basically talking about creating systems for life and systems for thinking better. How can you um, make decisions better? And he's all about your brain being a machine and your life being a machine. And it goes, so many people are stuck in being the worker, the worker in their life, that they don't realize that they should be, they zoom out and be the manager. Like if you, you don't wanna be the worker, you wanna zoom out further levels, get someone else doing the working jobs and you be the, the manager. He's all about building this machine and how to process um, decisions and stuff. So that, that was one of my favorites, um, probably of last year. What have I enjoyed recently? I read so much right now, like I'm reading like, at least two books, at least one book will be often two. Let me just quickly get my Kindle up and I'll see what some of my recent reads. Yeah, I think I've been slacking a little bit with the Ray Dalio uh, audiobook because I've been uh, purchasing this one as well, but I haven't gotten through with it. I don't know why actually, but it said like it is 16 hours. It's just like such yeah. a huge long time to, to listen to it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, then sometimes I restart it again, but then it's you're somewhere small. in the middle. And it still has a long storyline um, in, in certain um, parts of the book or the audiobook where I yeah, think it you have to take your time for it, right? You have to separate some time aside and say, all right, I'm going to listen to this. Yeah, it's, it's a slow start as well. Like he talks a lot about his life and it takes like 
probably five hours before it gets into the juicy stuff. You're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's a lot about yeah the the the, the funds and, and a lot of financial advice in that sense and the, it's more for like American people I would say um, yeah. and and you I mean if you were having the resources to do that and uh, if if that was like on my plate yeah then it was fine but yeah you have to get to the right stuff I guess and I have to see where he starts talking about the real um, uh, things as well yeah yeah so it goes like for like the kind of life background then it goes his his principles for work and life that's where the juicy stuff gets in um yeah other, like other books are like uh, high performance habits by brendan burchard that was one of my favorite books of last year and um, tools of titans i think it's probably two years old now by tim ferris massive like massive depth of a book but um super good like stuff from there um yeah I've just there's just so many and for favorite books like lifetime some of them one of them probably be Awaken the Giant Within from Tony Robbins. That had a huge effect on my life about four years ago. Really got me thinking about belief systems and who I wanted to be. And I did all the exercises. I spent like a month going through this book and like really getting to know myself better. Um, the Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. I think it's a super important book for poker players. Um, I've, I've recommended that to at least 10 players. And mm -hmm. eight of them have given me like really good reviews. When it's basically talking about we're always going to have obstacles and you need to figure out the way to get past obstacles and not try and not trying to shy away from them and progress very much like that. Like things are going to happen. You're going to end up in situations and you're, you've got to, the obstacle is the way when you hit an obstacle, that's where all the growth happens. And when you start thinking obstacles are a challenge for you to overcome that mindset's super powerful. And, uh, that book, it's really short and it's, it tells it in story format. It's really, yeah, poor players relate to that really heavily. Okay. Thanks a lot for the, for the tips and, uh, yeah, for you guys out there, hopefully you can also get some of these, uh, books and then, and, you know, try them out and, and see whether they're working for yourselves. Um, yeah. yeah, I want to just quickly, the, the last question, the wrap up question that, uh, just to remind people we've been gone into that, but the three main keys for a solid mindset, T grinders asking in the chat. Three key minds for a solid mindset. So, uh, um, that's how I would summarize mindset. So the first thing, like, you've got to be self-aware. So you've got to be self-aware to know like where the problems are, where they arise, what situations cause the problems. Then you need to get good at injecting logic. So basically, every time, realizing the story that's playing out, realize like every time you go to victim mode, every time you go into, I'm unlucky, this is this shouldn't happen. Like, poker is super high variance. Like, you should be impartial to what poker is doing to you because it's, it's constantly going to throw this variance and randomness at you and you need to use logic and overcome logic over and over and then you need to work on um yeah controlling like i think mindset you need to really think about your whole approach to everything like your whole approach to life the way you do one thing is the way you do everything and i think a lot of people try to like pinpoint it one little thing like what what little hack can i use what little tool can i use there and mindset's like a bigger thing like mindset's about the way you approach every single day. Do you, do you, do you snooze your alarm in the morning? Do you get up in the morning? Do you have a schedule where you sit down and grind or you just leave it a chance? You go on YouTube. Like Mindset's like your whole approach to the game. Um, and I think you should be working on a professional approach to poker as a whole. So that's the awareness, uh, being able to inject logic and control your emotional responses and then take the bigger picture and you being the, the boss. Like as a poker player, you're a businessman. You're, you're a business of one for the most part. Learn to operate that business well and get the most out of yourself as a poker player. And that's multifaceted on the mindset all right thank you very much for that answer of tigran's question here uh, if you're listening to this podcast later on on uh, any of the uh, on soundcloud or anywhere um 
there this podcast has been airing on youtube.com slash Andreas Freddy Poker, where I produce also a lot of other content, not just podcasts around poker. So make sure to also check the channel out over here. Where can people also reach you, Adam? Uh, we're going to have some links in the description below, but just uh, quickly do some self-promotion for where people can reach out to you. Yes, I've got a YouTube channel, just Adam Carmichael. If you search that, it's generally the first one that comes up. I've probably got maybe 80 videos on there at the moment where it's all poker content mindset. Um, I've got a Facebook group called Winner's Edge. So if you type in Winner's Edge into Facebook, a group will come up. Generally, I'm the top one of that. I post daily content in there. You'll get to know me. Um, I'm quite interactive with my community there. And those are probably the two best places rather than send your space of content on YouTube. If you want to get to know me a bit more on Facebook, there's a Winner's Edge uh, group which you can join, which you'll find me there. There we have it, guys. Thank you very much for being on the podcast, Adam. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a lot of fun.